G'day, I'm James and welcome to the Australian Opinion on Formula One here at the Lakeside Drive F1 podcast. In this episode, I chat with James Atkinson from the Drinks Adventures podcast about Daniel Ricciardo's wine. And I'm joined by a new friend of the podcast, another James, another Australian James, very excitingly, and he comes from the other part of my passion, the other world, the world of wine, gin, whiskey, basically any anything alcoholic. It's James Atkinson from the Drinks Adventures podcast. G'day, mate. Great to be with you, James. Uh, what a uh, what a fabulous crossover, a very unexpected crossover, <laughs> but a fabulous crossover nonetheless. Uh, the reason, James, that we've got you on today is uh, there is a link, listener, to Formula One here if you're wondering what the hell is going on. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo, James, joined you on your podcast, which is out today, listener. So if this gets boring at any point, please feel free to just stop this immediately, go to the show description, find the link to James's chat with DR there. But it was it was such a great chat, James, and I'm, I'm so interested because you come from this world of professional drinking, which is how I'm going to put it in. Um, you know, it's not alcoholism, it's just professional drinking. And, and you've spoken to some of the most incredible people around the world. Daniel Ricciardo, as many of our listeners know, is the third driver for Red Bull this year. It means he doesn't have a Formula One seat. So he has some time to focus on his other passions, wine being one of them. And you were lucky enough to have a chat to him about his partnership with St. Hugo. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, um, I've been doing the Drinks Adventures podcast now for going on five years. And, um, you know, when you're kind of just constantly talking to, um, you know, brewers, distillers, winemakers uh, about wine, beer, distilling, it can sometimes get pretty boring. So this whole sort of celebrity, um, you know, this trend of celebrities partnering with drinks, um, has, has actually been brilliant for me because it's kind of a, enabled me to shoehorn in uh, some other interviews with with really, really <laughs> interesting people that would have no place on the podcast um, otherwise. And, and, you know, generally speaking, this sort of means that um, in addition to talking to them about whatever this product is that they're, they're, they're partnering on, and in this, in this case the St Hugo DR3 wines, I can normally sort of um, put some questions to them about like, you know, their, their other job, you know, and uh, although in this case, um, unfortunately, I was uh, verbaled up by uh, Daniel's media people that there were to be no questions whatsoever about F1. So obviously that's a little bit sensitive at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting time for him uh, and I think he's done so many podcasts in realistically the last four months uh, since really his retirement was announced from McLaren uh, and his stepping into this new role with Red Bull that all of the people around DR are probably like, let's just not talk about F1 for a moment. Let's just focus in on the wine. Uh, you did a very good job, can I just say, to avoid talking about Formula One considering he is a Formula One driver. <laughs> luckily, I mean professionally, luckily he uh, he's able to touch on it. Um, one of the interesting points of the podcast I thought was him making the connection. As you say, you didn't have to ask the cheesy questions, but uh, he made the link himself to what Formula One and maybe – not maybe what I would have made the link to, but blending wine in a Formula One setup uh, for a, a race weekend, some kind of similarities there. But from from your point of view, I mean, Daniel obviously is very much loved on this podcast and by many of our listeners. But when it comes to talking about wine partnerships itself, I mean, St. Hugo is one of the biggest brands in Australia. It's owned by one of the what I would say probably one of the richest companies in Australia when it comes to to alcohol. 
Why did this partnership in your mind make sense for St. Hugo and Daniel? Well, I think, you know, St. Hugo is one of those Australian wine brands that has found itself in a bit of a quandary um, in that, you know, it's um, known for making very high quality but traditional wines, um, Barossa Shiraz, Kunora Cabernet. You can't kind of get much more traditional than that um, and, you know, it, it's it's a fiercely competitive industry out there, uh, fine wine. Um, and, you know, I think a brand like St Hugo probably wasn't doing the best job of um, bringing new consumers in, into its fold. Um, it, you know, if you look at the, the sort of people that would be consuming, uh, would be buying um, and consuming St Hugo, they're probably people who are, you know, um, putting it, putting it, in, in their wine cellar and that type of thing. It's one, it's, it's sort of renowned for being it's in the Langton's classification as being, um, I'm not sure, it's, I don't think it's outstanding, but it's up at one of the top tiers of, of the Langton's uh, classification. So it's, it's sort of known for being a very age-worthy wine. Um, but, you know, if you're coming up into, if you're sort of just starting to drink wine, you know, as a, as a sort of a 20-something-year-old, uh, what relevance does a brand like St Hugo have to you? Um, and I really kind of think that it was a very smart partnership for them to um, to work with someone like Daniel, who's just got such um, he's just such a likable guy, obviously. And there'd be no you'd know a lot better than me. There'd be no shortage of brands that want to that want to sort of um, take the the passion that F one fans have um, and and their their sort of support of, of Daniel, and then kind of try try and transfer that across to their brand and bring in new consumers and. Um, for me, it, for me, it made a lot of sense, and I think they've <clears throat> they've really they've really done a lot of you know a, a really good job with the packaging as well. I think it's kind of taken St. Hugo, um, you know, just made made it look very modern and sharp and um, a little bit more appealing to to younger people than the really old traditional sort of labels that that they have. And I mean, I think also you know this is as you say, it's it's one of the biggest. Um, Pernod Ricard, owner of St. Hugo, is one of the biggest wine spirit companies in the world, probably the second biggest in the world um, in spirits and certainly up there in wine as well. And, you know, I think that this is a brand that this is a company that can sort of, um, you know, really um, sort of deliver the potential of what this part, what a partnership with Daniel can do. You know, if it was a smaller brand, would they necessarily be able to open the floodgates and create sort of much bigger volumes of products to sort of launch into overseas markets? Um, so, yeah, I think, it, I think and, and, you know, another sort of point that I would make as well is just that when you look at wine generally, there's not really many brands that sort of transcend international boundaries. So, um, you know, in Australia we... We, we drink mostly Australian wine. In, in America, they drink mostly American wine um, and so on and so forth. So it's very hard for a brand like St. Hugo to sort of get serious traction in a market like America because, um, again, it's just so competitive and why St. Hugo, why not Penfolds, why not any other of these Australian brands that, that are also over there? So what this does is it just gives them immediately this brand relevance in another market that you can only get with working with a celebrity. And I think that's why these celebrity partnerships have been so popular in recent years. 
I think the difference, hopefully, between this one and many of the others is the wine is actually pretty good. Uh, it is very difficult to to make a bad Barossa, Shiraz, or <laughs> Kunawara cab. You really have to be pushing very hard, especially in a good vintage. He mentioned that the the third release, which is what's coming up, and and the partnership with San Hugo that. The design, as you said, it's, I mean, it's a very classic design, St. Hugo, uh, more of that sort of old world trying to lean into being that classic design. Um, for our listeners, you'll know that Daniel's race helmets in the last couple of years since leaving Red Bull have been, desi- been designed by race service in the US. Uh, that has continued with the bottle design too. So there's a little bit of that DR3 flavor coming into that packaging, which is fantastic. But James, for those international listeners that maybe don't understand Australian wine and Barossa Shiraz uh, can be confusing for a lot of people, especially if they know Syrah being the main variety for a lot of our European listeners, UK, US and and Canada listeners. As you've said, this is transcending markets because I do know that some of our listeners have in fact bought the DR3 and the Shui decanter. I'm not sure if you've seen that. (laughs) Yeah, I have. have. Hideous. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's absolutely fine and it works wonderfully, but it looks bloody horrific to me in terms of trying to clean it afterwards. But can you just sort of describe as a more general top line level what people would be expecting in a Barossa Shiraz uh, or a Kunawara Cabernet and why maybe this vintage specifically? Because he mentioned a couple of times that it was a special vintage in Barossa and Kunawara for this release. Yeah, well, I guess, um, you know, if you look at Shiraz, you, you know, the, you kind of compare it with the, the classic old world examples um, of, of Syrah in, in France and the Australian examples in, you know, from the Barossa, it's just generally it's um, it's hot it's hot here. So, you know, you're going to get much <laughs> riper fruit, which and riper fruit means a bit more alcohol. Um, so you, you're looking at a wine style that's more rich, more, um, you know, more full-bodied, uh, more, more intense, more fruit-driven as well than um, some, of the, some of the sort of French examples of, of Shiraz or Syrah. Um, but in saying that, I think like the um, Australian wine industry in general has sort of um, backed away from some of that intensity a little bit and started maybe just picking slightly earlier than they used to. Um, and then when it comes to sort of putting putting the wine into oak, they're not using sort of the same amount of new oak that they used to. Um, so that sort of real richness that, you know, Barossa was kind of really known for a little bit has, has just – there's still some producers that are doing it that way, but I think that um, we're starting to see a little bit more elegance and a little bit more, you know, these wines are just a little bit more – they're still very bold, full-on wines – but they're just a little bit more understated than than they used to be, and I think I would say that Daniels, these wines of Daniels, are in, in the medium-bodied uh, sort of spectrum. Um, they're not they're not the super full-bodied um, Barossa Shiraz that some people might be familiar with. It's a classic Kunawara Cabernet. Um, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, sometimes you can get really sort of, and it has been in the St Hugo wines at some stages. They're quite, they can be quite minty. That's a very sort of classic. Kunawara Cabernet um, character. There's not a lot of that in the Daniel in the DR3 wines at all, um, which I actually really like. Um, yeah, they're, they're really nice wines. I, I've, I've got a lot of a lot of time for for what they're doing, and um, actually, you wouldn't have heard the interview that I did with Pete, the winemaker, and he sort of talked about how Daniel's with his palate. He sort of uh, favors a bit more opulence um, than uh, the, the sort of the classic St Hugo style, which is um, probably just a little bit drier um, in, in character. Um, and I think 
yeah, it, it, the way that the wines have turned out, it works really well. And probably mainly because, and he mentioned too, the fact that his dad, you know, is a wine drinker. I'm thinking about Perth sort of like late 90s, early 1000s when Daniel probably was starting to, to see, smell and taste those kinds of wines, that kind of winemaking style I imagine from that Barossa Kunawara region was sort of more in that way. So it's interesting, isn't it, when you, you sort of have exposure to wine at an early age and, and the kind of memories that it sort of finds and so you have an idea in your mind what you'd like it to be and if you're in a position like Daniel to be able to blend stuff together, to be able to try and make it a certain way, then uh, then you have that ability and, and certainly fantastic winemaking skills from the team at St. Hugo too. All right, mate. I'll hang on there. We need to pay some bills, so we're just going to slot our perfect sponsorship placement in right there. But I'd like to talk about your browsing habits, if I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's dangerous. Uh, and uh, the reason uh. reason for that is uh, I have absolutely no technical ability to be able to look at your browsing history, but there are people out there who have that ability. It's very suggestive. Which is terrifying. <laughs> very suggestive. Uh, well, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just like, how can I buy this motocross bike, I assume, and will this helmet size fit on over a beanie? Um, I assume is what you're searching for but uh, people out there have the ability to look at your personal data online which is ter- genuinely ter- terrifying um, hate that but hate that but it is good news everyone because we do have uh, we have extended sp- uh, sponsorship from our friends at NordVPN for a little bit of this year which is very exciting it's uh, it's great for privacy in a world that I've got a tinfoil beanie on all the time a bit of a prepper as well I'm building a bunker at the moment so privacy for me is key and look it's a really easy product to use too so get on there and use that uh, use that what are we getting a discount that's two years for you can, whatever you, it is it's, but it's a birthday celebration so there's a whole range of Excellent. different things so who knows Excellent. exactly what it is you're going to get because it's part of the surprise for you as well um, and look it's 30 day money back guarantee so if you don't like it you can just pretend like it never happened nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive is the code to use the link is also in the description Cappy let's get back to it uh, I'd love to chat about how you actually approached Daniel for this because, I mean, Daniel is such a busy person and he'd have a, about a million podcast requests, uh, I imagine, a year. We aren't one of them yet. <laughs> we will be. Uh, but how, did, how was the angle? What, what was the uh, – how did he say yes? Is it just because it was all about wine and nothing to do with Formula One? Oh, I think it was just a bit of persistence really. It's uh, <laughs> when this partnership kind of got announced a few years ago, I – um, I, I mean, I've been kind of working as a journalist in the in the drinks industry for a while, and I and I have some contacts at Pernod Ricard, so I did um, just say to him, look, if he ever wants to come on the podcast, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to have a chat to him, and um, haven't really. You know, and then sort of a new vintage will come out, and I'll just mention it again. Oh, and if Daniel ever wants to have a chat, and of course, all of a sudden, um, I think his schedules just become a little bit clearer than it, than it was. <laughs> um, and out of the blue came this this um, interview opportunity, you know, and it was sort of with a with a you know a two week lead time, so it was all sort of turned around turned around pretty quickly. Fabulous. Well, it is a bloody great interview. James, what can we expect? I mean, a lot of our listeners will be very surprised the fact that there is a drinks podcast coming out of Australia. Uh, and listener, as I said to James last week when we spoke, the reason why I didn't start a wine podcast is because James started a year before me and I thought, well, that space is fully covered. Let's turn my <laughs> attention to Formula One. But what can we expect this year from your podcast? Oh, look, um, I've got lots of things coming up. I mean, there's sort of some pretty 
kind of uh, some, some stuff that I suppose is probably more of interest to the the serious wine aficionado. So, for example, I've got a documentary that I've I've done sort of occasional documentary episodes that um, involve involve a ridiculous amount of work, and I've got one that's coming out that's about the you know the the switch to screw cap in Australia and how the Clare Valley region sort of drove that. And so that's sort of a big one that's coming up. Um, other than that, uh, some big name sort of international distillers from, you know, like Japanese whiskey and bourbon. Um, I've got some great, you know, brewing episodes coming up with local brewers. Um, you know, I always am just trying to sort of find a good balance across all of the different categories, beer, wine, spirits, even a bit of, um, you know, a bit of Japanese sake. I, I really like to sort of try and explore some of these beverages that people might not be interested in and really trying to kind of bring people along with me because one thing in my position that I've sort of discovered is that if you get to drink the best of the best, like whether it's sake or cider or cognac or, you know, like it's all, you might have a specific idea in your head that you like whiskey or you like wine or, or, or you only drink craft beer or whatever it is. But, you know, once you start getting exposed to some of the best of the best of everything else, you realize that, that there is some great stuff out there to explore. Uh, to the yeah. detriment of your hip pocket, though, normally. As well, so, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how that feels. Well, uh, listener, if you'd, if you'd like to go and listen to James's podcast, of course, the episode with Daniel is out right now. You can find that in our show notes, the link to that, or just simply search the Drinks Adventure podcast wherever you get your podcasts. There is a huge back catalogue for you to get into as well. So go and do that. James, absolute pleasure to chat with you, mate. And uh, thank you for allowing us to have a bit of a glimpse into the story of wine with DR. Thanks heaps for having me. Well, massive thank you to James Atkinson from the Drinks Adventures podcast for joining me for a bit of a different chat here at Lakeside Drive. If you enjoyed the chat, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Also, please go and check out that episode with Danny Rick. It's such a great way to understand a little bit more about Daniel away from his racing, his wonderful passion about wine certainly comes through. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, you can leave us a rating or review either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you don't want to, that's also absolutely fine. But we do read all of them and we do talk about it on the show when they come through. You can find all of the links to follow us in the description below, including our Discord server, which is a great community of like-minded Formula 1 fans from all over the world. That's it for this episode. You'll be hearing from me very soon here on the Lakeside Drive F1 podcast.